For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated on this lovely Sunday evening, Christmas Eve. We have a special time together to join our hearts and to hear a sermon, Be Fed Jesus, the Bread of Life, Bethlehem, the House of Bread, the City of Town of Bread, from whence came the Bread of Life, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do want to feast on the Bread of Life, Christ himself. He is our food. He is our manna. He is the one that you sent down here. And we thank you for him that he has come to us. Now we commit our hearts to you that we might be filled with your spirit and your grace as we hear and preach and love you in Jesus name. Amen. So years ago, some advertiser used to claim to have a product that they would say was the gift that keeps on giving, implying that their merchandise had some kind of regenerative nature in it. And even though, especially with all the ads today, we get a bit exasperated with the world's claims of those sorts of ideas, we should not throw the baby out with the bathwater. The fact is that there is actually a gift that truly does keep on giving, and that is the gift of God's Son to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, even not only in this world, but throughout all eternity, we will continue to feast on and love and grow in this glorious Savior, our Lord Jesus Indeed. Now, in verse 6 of this chapter 9 of Isaiah, which Elder Craig read a few moments ago so nicely, we, we saw that the Lord Jesus descended upon us, even as our banner here, reigns over us and embraces us. And now we're going to concentrate only on verse 7 tonight. Okay, so in this verse, we especially see elaborated for us the aspect of the Messiah's nature and mission with regard to his government or rule of his church and through her, the world. So tonight we are going to endeavor to appreciate at least some of the wonderful significance of the gift of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, just looking again at Isaiah 9-7. So we do have an outline on the back of those half sheets if you wish to use it. Title, The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Christ Keeps Giving His Church's Victory. Now this is a major theme in the Advent season and all of the texts that we've been reading from the angels in Luke 2, from the words of Annunciation as we were blessed by our Redeemer singers last week, all these sorts of wonderful traits of the reign of Christ Jesus beginning in a special way in his incarnation and in his birth. The triumph of Jesus achieved by that perfect life of obedience and that sacrificial passive righteousness that's imputed to us and his sacrificing of himself on the cross, shedding his blood for us, for our forgiveness 
his death, burial, and resurrection, these things are the motivating factors for the entirety of our Christian lives. Not just at Christmas, but throughout the year. Everything we aspire to do for the glory of God, the good of the church, and through her, the welfare and benefit of the whole world that God has created, all of it is done out of the riches of this inheritance that Jesus Christ gained and gave to his church after his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And we are living off the riches of Christ Jesus, the glorious king, his victory even now. So let us now look briefly at the extent of this bounty. Verse 7a, Christ giving us his victory. We win in this world. This is exciting. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So this started in the special sense in the incarnation and birth of Christ. Now, obviously the Holy Trinity has always been in control of all things. But now we have a God-man who sits on the throne. And this throne is a powerful throne. And this is in this world. The genesis of this glorious fact actually is given to us again in chapter 9, verse 6, the preceding verse, where at Jesus' conception we see that a child is born to us. This kingdom now has been expanding over the earth ever since this happened. Now, it was in very infant form at first, as we mentioned this morning, but grew immensely and exponentially and still is. Consider, for instance, the words of Luke 13, 18, and 19. And those words talk about the parable of the mustard seed. You have to remember, there's this whole thing started so small, a tiny embryo becomes the child born to us. He has now tra- traversed the entirety of what the Father called him to do, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his reign. And now he reigns and we benefit in this world even now. Now, this is a great thing for us because it gives us confidence to live in this world, in this earth, because of really what happened at Christmas. If this hadn't occurred, if God's promise had failed, we would have no hope. We're going to talk more about this a little bit later. But now, as per Paul's words out of Romans 8.37, the church... The parishioners therein become more than conquerors through him, Christ, who loved us. We win in this world, and we win in the next world. Verse 7a again. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You know, sometimes unbelievers think that uh, Christians are only enamored with the next world. You know, the reality is that we win in this world, and we win in the next world. And anyone outside of him loses in all worlds. And that's one of the reasons we have a heart for people, right? And evangelizing them. And proclaiming that gospel that's not evident to them. As we mentioned this morning, the law, judgment, wrath, that's all evident to anyone. We know we're under that. The gospel must be proclaimed. So we win in the next world. 
Our assurance is not only strong here, but in the one to come. The perfection and completion of all God's blessings begun here are finalized and even continued there. Remember, Jesus' rule, even in heaven, lasts forever. Consider the words of the angels to Mary from Luke one thirty-three: Christ will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know, nobody knows for sure what the eternal state's going to be like, but we do know certain things about it. And in the eternal state, the rule of Christ continues in this sort of expansive mode. When we think in the next world, we remember that Christmas inaugurated this process that has secured for us now eternal life. As we're in Christ Jesus, we have life now, eternal life. And in the very most profound sense, we can never die. Cannot die. We live forever. These are the promises of the gospel. Consider Matthew one twenty one. This was used in our confessional this morning. She, Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christ keeps giving us his victory. Now, verse 7b, Christ keeps giving us his blessings. The throne of David, which will be referenced here in this part of verse 7, has a throne that is a beautiful, blessed throne. The throne of David is where Jesus sits. Christ has, past tense, taken this throne. Clear from verses such as Luke one thirty-two. Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And we could say that that had its formal sense at the exaltation of Christ in his ascension and session in heaven as he came into the eternal sanctuary and offered his blood as the priest, but also the king and the prophet, prophet, priest, and king. The eternal throne of David has Christ Jesus upon it. David, the the great king, beloved of God, friend of God, heart for God, had the wonderful, unconditional covenant promise made to him. You know that the covenant has certain wonderful uh, attributes, and some of the covenants, like, for instance, the Noahic, Abrahamic, Davidic and New Covenants were unconditional. God absolutely bound himself to the fulfillment of these covenants, irregardless or regardless of anyone or their actions. And so this is a wonderful thing we're going to look at here, the characteristics of the blessings of our Redeemer's glorious reign. Consider this, that giving of... His blessings, these are covenant kindnesses. Verse 7b, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Again, this is a a gloriously gracious part of the covenant, just as the Abrahamic one was as well. We have it. And this is fulfilled by Christ, and it's apprehended or appreciated or experienced by those who simply believe him, believe in him, are in him, receive him, if you will. And this is a glorious thing. Now, let's look at these things. Establishment, justice, and righteousness. The establishment or ordering of this kingdom has to do with everything from the selection of the 12 disciples and 
one of the original 12 was a traitor, Judas, and yet then we have Paul. Two, the distribution of spiritual gifts in the church in every age. For instance, as per Ephesians 4.8, when Christ ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Women, too, obviously, that text there. But this is a glorious thing. The establishment of the kingdom. Then justice, which is a word that's thrown around and not understood, but it's an important word, has to do with our relationship to each other, if you will, especially in the kingdom of God, but for the Christians in every realm with truth and humility. Micah 6.8, very famous text, touching on this with regard to our dealings with one another. He, God, has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And then righteousness. This is glorious because this is in reference especially to the imputed righteousness of Christ to the saints in the church. That now God has executed judgment legally, properly, forensically, rightly upon the one who kept the law, who bore the sins of those who did not keep the law, and was able to take his righteousness and impute it to us, the righteousness of Christ. Manifest by verses such as 2 Corinthians 5.21, which we studied not too long ago. For God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And let us thank God that as regenerated Christian church members who love him, we're related to the king. We are in the covenant family, the kingdom of Christ, of God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. These are covenant kindnesses and... These are eternal kindnesses, the very end of that phrase, from this time forth and forever. Again, there's no end to God's blessing in Christ. When the text says from this time forth and forever, he's hearkening back to the giving of the Christ child in his incarnation and birth as per verse 6, with his influence growing exponentially, steadily, forever. Christ keeps giving us his victory, his blessings, and then verse 7c, Christ keeps giving us his assurance. And assurance is one of those wonderful blessings, uh, security in Christ Jesus, a sense of assurance. This is uh, heaven on earth, the Puritans would say, to have the assurance of God's love. And truly it is. There can't be anything better. You should value your assurance and your freedom so much that you would not ever want to lose it. And this is one of the reasons when we walk with Christ, we're actually doing ourselves as well as everyone else good and bringing God glory. Now, when the Bible says that God is zealous about something, then you could probably look through the Old Testament and the New and not find that many references to God being zealous about something, as we see at the end of verse 7 here. We should take note because obviously there's no stopping him. Now, how many of you do remember, indeed, Jesus entering the temple? This may have happened twice in the actual three-year ministration of Christ in his first advent on earth before his resurrection and ascension. But it's recorded for us in John 2.17. Enters the temple, makes a whip, drives out the money changers, 
And the Apostle John writes, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. This is one of the reasons you Redeemerites are zealous about your Christian life, your church life. Why you take it so seriously. Why it's so central to who you are. Because those who are in Christ have the same zeal for the things of God that he had and does have. We have the same values. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So Christ keeps giving us his church's assurance. God's word is sure. Verse 7c. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, when Isaiah wrote this, it was about somewhere in the 700 B.C. era. Think about this. 700 years is a long time. Oh, well, by our standards, right? If you think about it that way. It took 700 years for this prophecy to actually come to full fruition. But God's word did not and could not and never could fail. This gives us great confidence in the Holy Scriptures. All of its prophecies are true. Most of them have been fulfilled. God's written word can be trusted. Absolutely. And we see it here. Jesus himself said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.18. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So, God's word is sure. And reading that little phrase again, verse 7c, God's decrees are sure. D-E-C-R-E-E-S. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, it's really beautiful because the the sovereign God decreed all that would be. And this is part of the glory of our covenant theology. You know, the, the first great covenant that we think about is the covenant of redemption, an eternal covenant made with the three persons of the Holy Trinity designing the, the entirety of this created world and what would happen in it, including the fall, and including the fact that the Son of God, the second person, would become man and bear the sins of the elect church. So the zeal of the Lord refers to divine decrees, and it's not like God looking down the corridor of history to see what would happen and then predicting it or foreordaining it, which has been uh, uh, an answer to the wonderment of God's sovereignty. That's not what happened. Rather, he established from before the dawn of time what would happen, especially with regard to the birth, death, resurrection, ascension of his son, and how the salvation of his elect church would come about. Dear saints, on this Christmas Eve, Sunday night, let us believe in love, live for this great king, this great prophet, this great priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord, born in humble circumstances, relating completely to us, meeting all of our needs. Beloved, the gift that keeps on giving in this Advent season is a powerful king, not to be taken lightly. 
Among other things, we celebrate Christ's victory, Christ's blessings, and Christ's assurance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that. The gift that keeps on giving is not a thing, it's a person. The person of the God-man. Thank you that the gospel focuses and centers on him, and that we have uh, that gift that keeps on giving. Thank you that we can share that love amongst each other, even tonight and throughout the rest of our lives, relishing Christ, the King, the gift that keeps on giving. We pray in his name. Amen.